Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. God be praised for the joy of Easter. I was rebuked the other day by someone because I said, hey, we got 40 days of Easter, just like 40 days of Lent. And they said, hey, I think Easter goes all the way to Pentecost. 50 days of Easter, even more. I think that's right. I'll take it. I'll take that rebuke. We continue to bask in the joy of the resurrection of Jesus, knowing that he's the first fruits, and one day we will be raised, and beyond all the troubles of this life, whoa, that'll be good. Anyhow, a couple questions a day for you, thinking theologically along with you here on What Not the Podcast. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, by the way, if you needed to know that. A question about how do we keep the law? And another question about, are, are you sure there's pastors in the Bible? So two good questions. Thanks for sending them. If you have your questions, wolfmuller.co slash contact. All right, here we go. Here's a question from, don't mention my name, who's asking about, is pastor in the Bible? It's a great question. Um, it says, greetings, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. I am an ordinary Christian. I live in Taiwan. I often watch your videos. I like to read the Bible and discuss some issues. Is the job of pastor biblical? Please enlighten me which passage in the Bible says that this uh, says that. This is a question my friend asked me when we were discussing the Bible. Actually, I thought of what Ephesians 4, 11 to 12 mentioned, but my friend, he asked me the following question, which I could not answer. Please help me. Uh, here's the question from the friend. In the New Testament, where else is the pastor mentioned? Uh, and then a long list of scriptures, Acts 14, Acts 15.2, Acts 15.4, which mentions elders, apostles, etc., 15.22, 16, Acts 20, Titus 1, James 5. Uh, and follow-up questions on each of these texts, which concludes, obviously, the pastor is conspicuous by his absence in Scripture. Is there a good reason for the pastor to be the lead of the church and yet missing in action? And this is a great question. Uh, and maybe to start this way, one of the problems with looking for pastor in Scripture is that the word for pastor is the same Greek word for shepherd, poimen. And so most often the word that, that we use, pastor, uh, gets translated in the New Testament as shepherd. So, for example, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And that's what it says, and that's what it means. But it could also be translated, I am the good, the noble, the beautiful, the, the, uh, the fantastic shepherd, uh, sorry, pastor. I am the good pastor. Uh, it means the same thing. So in Acts chapter 20, for example, when Paul is talking to the elders at Miletus, uh, they're from Ephesus and they come down to meet Paul in Miletus and he's preaching what I think is an ordination sermon. He says, shepherd the flock of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. That word there is pastor. Uh, here's another one. And this one is going to be helpful for us uh, and, and you mentioned the verse you mentioned in Ephesians 4, same thing. It says uh, the gifts that God gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, uh, shepherds, and teachers. So the reason why pastor is so hard to find in the New Testament is because the word normally gets translated shepherd. But let me read you this first Peter 5, 1 Peter 5.1. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and also the partaker of the glory that will be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God, which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. When the chief pastor appears, 
you will receive this crown of glory. Now, this pastor is this passage is so important because it connects these three biblical words. Peter's talking to the elders, who are also to pastor and to oversee, uh, so that the the elders, the presbytos, and the shepherds, the poimen, the pastors, and the overseers, the episcopos. That's all the same office in the New Testament. So that whenever you see elder, or whenever you see bishop, or whenever you see shepherd, you can think pastor. There, there is one office, and that office is for preaching the word. This is especially seen in, uh, in Luke twenty-four, where the Lord appoints repentance and forgiveness of sins to be preached in all the word world. Uh, we also see the care entrusted to pastors, and that's especially in the word um, to pastor or to shepherd. So all those passages that were mentioned by your friend, uh, where they're talking about the elders there, you can say, well, that those are the pastors. There's, there's, a, there's one office there. Now, if we divide up by human arrangement, uh, an, a pastor of the pastors, a you know, bishop who's going to have some oversight in the churches. That's all by human arrangement. The divine arrangement is that there is in the church those who preach and those who hear, and so that's pastor and people. So I hope that's helpful. It's This is also helpful because there's oftentimes a confusion because we, in America at least, will use the word elder to describe an office of a lay office in the church that's there to support the pastor and the people help the people care for the pastor, help the pastor care for the people, uh, make sure all the um, things that happen in the Lord's house are theologically correct. And that's that's good. It's really good that we have these uh, men doing these things in this office. But it's sometimes confusing for them because they read in the Bible what an elder should do. And they're like, wait a minute, that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm doing. And that's right. In the Bible, the office of elder really is the office of pastor, at least the common language that we use today. So great question, and I hope uh, a helpful answer to clarify that. There's a lot of confusion around it, so thanks so much. Dirk has a great question about keeping the law. He says, hi, blessings. Hi, Dirk. Blessings to you as well. God's peace be with you. I know we cannot keep the law, Yet, some of the terminology seems to confuse me sometimes. Via the third use, the use for believers, it seems it can, in fact, be kept. Here's the terminology confusion. But not fulfilled. But kept in a sense. Kept, but not kept perfectly. I like to use the Bible's use of words when God says to keep the law and the commandments countless times. Is there any sense in which the law can be observed or kept? Should we use certain terms? Thank you for your work. Well, Dirk, thank you. Great, great question. Uh, first, let's get to the uses of the law. Uh, remember, and this is the catechism stuff, but it's helpful that the Holy Spirit uses the law for three things. Uh, the one is to order society, to keep us from, as my friend Todd Wilkins says, it keeps us from killing and eating each other. There's an ordered life, and that is according to natural law, and that's God's law also for, for the world. That's first use. The second use of the law is sometimes called the mirror use of the law. That's the law that shows us our desperate sinfulness. It exposes to us the depth of our corruption. It teaches us original sin. 
This is the theological use of the law, the first, the, the, the chief use of the law, even though it's not the first use of the law. And this is the law uh, in God's hands to crush the pride of sinners. We, by nature, think that we are pretty good, that we deserve heaven, that we are better than most or whatever. You know, this thing where you go out and ask people, hey, hey, uh, are you going to go to heaven? Sure. Oh, yeah, of course. I don't even believe in God, but I think I'm going to go to heaven. <laughs> people who don't even believe in heaven think they're going to go there. Well, how are you going to get there? Well, I'm, you know, I try hard. I'm a, I'm a good person or whatever crazy that we think this about ourselves, but it's true. We do. Our flesh is prideful. It has a native inborn pridefulness. It's like the it's like the operating system that's downloaded on the phone when you get it at T-Mobile, and it's got pride embedded in it already. It's just there. It's default. And so the law has to come and, and, and show us that, hey, uh, you're not as good as you think you are. This is, Luther says that uh, our inborn sin, this is small called articles, talking about original sin, and it's genius. Our inborn sin is so deep a corruption that we cannot see it ourselves. It has to be shown to us by the Holy Scripture, which is why the old theologians like to use the picture of leprosy for sin, because if you have leprosy, you lose your sense of touch. So you can burn your hand and you don't even know it because you're so sick that you don't know how sick you are. I've told this story before, but it's kind of amazing. I, I uh, was with a friend of mine at seminary, and we were standing there talking one Sunday afternoon after church, and we hear this crash down the street. So we run down there, and there's a guy laying under a tree, kind of pinned with a motorcycle, and we run up to him, and I ask if he's okay, and he says, I don't know. I can't feel my legs. And he had broken his neck. And he was, this is the, the point here, he was so broken, he didn't know how broken he was. When Adam and Eve fell, they broke our the neck of the conscience so that we don't feel how bad we are. So the second use of the law shows us that we cannot save ourselves, that Corruption goes all the way through down to the to the root. We are not sin, but we are thoroughly corrupted with sin, and um, and we were sinners before we even acted on it. the The second use of the law then is the most important use because it tells us that we cannot save ourselves; that we need a savior. And then there's the third use of the law, and this is the Christian use of the law. And this, I think the best way to think about the third use of the law is that there's a whole new realm of commandments that open themselves up to us when we have the Holy Spirit. So the fifth commandment, you shall not kill, tells us that we shouldn't go and hurt and harm our neighbor and his body. We should let them be, etc. But now, but now that comes to me as a Christian as to lay down my life for my friend. As Jesus says it, no greater love is this. That, that the new, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. So the old commandment was you love your neighbor like you love yourself. The new commandment is you love your neighbor like Jesus loves you. That's a profound thing. There's so many things that are unavailable to us before the Holy Spirit comes. For example, prayer. We can't pray apart from the Holy Spirit, but now the command to pray means something. Or uh, 
to suffer in patience, to trust in God when we're dying, to not be afraid of death. All of these are things that we cannot do apart from the Holy Spirit. So that third use of the law is the, the, the law that comes to the Christian and shapes our Christian life. Now, the question, original question was about keeping the law, and um, Dirk is right. We cannot keep the law in the sense of no one will be judged righteous by the law. There's no way that we're going to stand before God on Judgment Day, and he'll be like, oh, perfect, you're in. You don't even need the blood of Jesus. No, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is not the way to do it. I think that when the Lutherans talk about our, our life in Christ, and how it relates to the law, they always use the word begin. We begin to love. We begin to serve. We begin to suffer with patience. We begin to pray. We begin to care for the people around us. It's always a beginning. It's never a completion, but it's always a start. And this, I think, is the way to, to keep us on the right track, is that we, we always are beginning to keep the law, never finishing. It's where the Nazarenes are well, I guess the Methodists before them got off the track as they started talking about sinless perfection. They grabbed that old Roman Catholic idea of the saints that you can be made perfect in this life and brought it into Protestantism. This is a, a, a false misleading dream that, uh, that we can please God by our efforts and be up and be distinct from the need for Christ. Be, be, to, to be to somehow, uh, do so much good that we don't that we don't need his blood and his mercy. No, but we can begin. And here's another way that the Bible uses it, and this has to do with the beginning. But when when we see, for example, in the Psalms, I am, but where David, for example, will sometimes boast in his righteousness and and his keeping of the law. There's a way, if you want to think of it like this, uh, he keeps the law not by following it, but by knowing it, by wanting to follow it. In other words, the, key, the keeper of the law is in opposition to the dismisser of the law. The keeper of the law is, is the one who meditates on the commandments and knows the commandments are right, even though we know that we can't live up to what they, what they demand, as opposed to those who have thrown off God's law and are living a life of foolish abandonment to doing whatever we want. So there are those who, who simply don't have the law of God. The, the, you shall not murder doesn't mean anything to them. You shall not commit adultery doesn't mean anything to them. You shall remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. That doesn't mean anything. So, so they don't keep the law. They're, they're, it's not that they've broken the law, but they're not even trying to keep it. So that we are of the law in this way. That we know that God's law is his gift to us and we are clinging to it and holding on to it and rejoicing in it. So I hope, uh, I hope that helps. It's great your endeavor here, Dirk, and it should be for all of us to use the biblical language. May God grant you uh, joy in this endeavor. Hope this is helpful too. And if you have a follow-up, let me know. Wolfmuller.co slash contact is the best way to do that for you and for everybody. This is the part of the show where I do plugs. Mostly, Wednesday Whatnot is the thing you got to um, go subscribe to. It's the free weekly-ish newsletter where I send out links and stuff. and It's free. You can also subscribe for 
five bucks a month and you get for that five bucks nothing at all it just helps me out uh really it's the reason why we got producer packer on the back end here helping sort out all these questions it's great appreciate that if you want to send some questions in wolfmuller.co slash contact if you're listening to this on spotify there's a way for you to send a voice message i don't know how it happened one time and it worked so you can do that that's kind of cool i think uh, i think that's all we got for you so thanks again for listening uh, wonderful uh, wonderful questions keep them coming there's joy there dear friends in the scripture it's an adventure for us so keep these questions coming keep reading your bible god's peace be with you